Steve asked me if I'd share this morning, um, but he didn't give me the text. This is a, <laughs> we're taking a break from John. I, I say that because when I get into the text and one of the things you learn when you learn about teaching is you try to remove some of the distractions that you can remove that you know are going to be there before you get started. And so for those of you who are in the middle of this are going to say, well, yeah, of course, the church is always talking about money, and so Randy's up there to talk about money. Well, Steve didn't tell me. that I picked the text. Steve didn't. <laughs> I doubt the elders even know what the text is unless it's up on the screen already. Chapter 12, by the way, you can turn there if you'd like. Um, I, I get no money for doing this. I get... <laughs> Well, this is important. It's important for, and you may be uh, visiting here. I'm, my name's Randy Armstrong. I've been a member here for about two years with my wife, Betty. Um, don't have any position in the church other than member, but um, Steve asked me to speak, and we're going to talk about money, and partly because Jesus talks a lot about money as well, but I'm not raising any money. Zephyr didn't ask me to talk about money this morning. <laughs> I have no ulterior motive this morning, honestly, hopefully, the Lord knows my heart before God, but that as a brother in Christ, to all of you who are in Christ, my, my, my prayer and my concern is that we, we know what's, what really matters. We know what's really happening. We know what's really true. We know what's really going to last. And a lot of it has to do with how we look at what we've got whether we've got a lot or a little bit. So that was probably a longer introduction than I'd planned already, but I just want you to know if there's any doubt that there's, there's nothing behind this. We're not aiming at anything other than, I'm not aiming at anything other than, like myself, that we've, we see life as it is and we know what life really is. And living in a culture that is just saturated with this desire for more that we can, take a, we can go back and we can look at what the Lord Jesus said to his disciples and take it to heart for ourselves. We're in chapter 12 of Luke. I'll be reading out of the ESV. It just dawned on me last night. I probably should have prepared in the NASB because most of you probably have NASB and it just didn't dawn on me till too late. So I'll be speaking out of the ESV, which is not that much different, but if it sounds a little different to you, that, that could be why. In this chapter 12 of Luke, Luke is... Telling, recounting a time in Jesus' ministry when he's preparing his disciples for things they're going to face. And he tells them to watch out for hypocrisy. And basically, he tells them about a few things they should watch out for that they might not be alert to. And he tells them a few things to not be afraid of that they were probably afraid of. And so this chapter 12 starts with Jesus warning them against hypocrisy. He's telling them not to be afraid of people that will harm them, that will even kill them because all they can do is kill them. And that's all they can do. They should really be afraid of the one who after death can cast the soul and the body into hell. He warns them about denying Christ. He talks about, gives them comfort and encouragement. He says, when you're calling the carpet, the Holy Spirit's going to give you what to say. You don't need to worry about that ahead of time. And right in the middle of this instruction that he's giving to his disciples, somebody in the crowd interrupts. And that's where we're going to pick it up. So if you'll turn in chapter 12 of Luke to verse 13. I'll begin reading there. So let's stand together out of honor for the word of God. And I think I'll read just down through verse 21, but we'll, Lord willing, if we have time, go all the way down to verse 34. This is God's word to us this morning. So in the middle of this instruction that Jesus is giving to his disciples, verse 13, 
Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, show us what, what's really true. Show us yourself. Show us what really matters. Show us what you've planned for us. Show us how much you delight in giving us what you've created us to receive from you. And may our hearts be receptive, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So someone in the crowd interrupts him and asks him that, to arbitrate on the inheritance. And he was a, Jesus was a rabbi. It was recognized that rabbis could do that. But Jesus doesn't want anything to do with it. it. That's not what he came to earth for. He's got bigger fish to fry, as they say. And so he just ignores the man's request other than putting the guy down. I mean, can you imagine... Jesus is there, and so you, you interrupt, and you become an object lesson of how not to live life. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been the star of that show a couple, three, four, or five times in my life, where I've become the example of what not to do. Well, this is the example here. And, but Jesus uses this situation to continue teaching his disciples. And so, but he's going to speak to the crowd first here in verse 15. And he says to them, he says to the crowd, verse 15, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. Now, this is the first of five times in the passage we're going to look at today, if we get all the way through it, where Jesus gives a command or a double command followed by a four statement. So he's giving instruction, he's giving a command on what to do or what not to do, and then he's going to explain why. And before we look at these, I want to remind you who's speaking. I was struck again this week. Jesus was fully man. He came and dwelt as a man. He was tempted in all points like we were. He knows everything we've been through, but he was more than a man. He was God in the flesh. And before he was a man, before he became a baby, before he became an embryo in Mary's womb, he was God, the Son of God. By him, everything was created. Every person who had lived up to that point in time, when their life had ended, the Son of God was a witness to what happened to that person. He's not just a good teacher who has some good ideas, who has some good philosophies, who's going to give us some good advice about life. He is the Son of God in the flesh, who has existed for eternity as a man, he's going to taste everything we tasted. But in terms of what he knows, he knows far more and has experienced far more than you or I collectively will ever know or experience. So he's not just giving us some good ideas. 
He's not just a teacher that, well, you can take it or leave it. You, you might agree with him, you might not. You know, it's up to you. This is the one who knows what reality is. Now, I don't know about you, but when we had kids and the kids were growing up, when they're six or seven years old, they have certain experiences. They have a certain level of knowledge. Certain things happen in their life that are crises. I mean, they are big things. It's traumatic. It's the end of the world. You're an adult. You look at that and you know, yeah, it's probably not the end of the world. It's probably not that big a deal. Next year, you'll grow through that and you'll, and you, you, you know, you don't put the kid down, but you know, you see the bigger picture. On our best day, we're like, we're less than that little kid when it comes to what Jesus knows. And so Jesus is going to give some instructions to his disciples. He's getting them ready because he knows within three years, he's going to take their sins and the sins of humanity upon himself. He's going to die on that cross for their sins. He's going to be raised to life. He's going to send his Holy Spirit upon them. And they're going to go out and live the kingdom of God in their situation. And so he's getting them ready. And he's already told them some things. And now he's going to warn them about something they might not have been too cautious about. And this is the first thing. Take care and be on your guard. Note the double imperative there. Take care and be on your guard. Literally, the word take care there means to stare at something, to look at something intently. He's saying, watch out. You got to be watching out for something. There's something really dangerous that if you're not careful, is going to get you. And what are you supposed to watch out for? Every kind of covetousness. Translations differ. Some say covetousness. Some say greed. But the word there in the Greek is a combination of two Greek words, which means to have more. Now, we think covetousness or greed is wanting to be rich, but literally it just means wanting some more. Greed at its essence is simply whatever you've got, you just need a little bit more. You just want a little bit more. Joshua Gibbs in his book, um, How to Be Unlucky, says most Americans don't know how many wants they have, and neither do they understand the profound depth of those wants simply because most of their wants are daily and unproblematically fulfilled. We live in a society that always wants more. In the 70s, 1974, I think it is, the median family income adjusted for inflation was about $60,000. 50 years later, the median family income adjusted for inflation was $67,000. So it went up 10% adjusted for inflation over those 50 years. But guess what? It wasn't enough. The debt was 4% of your median income in 1974, about $2,400 a year, the median family. 50 years later, the median debt for a family was $26,000 a year. So you had more. We had more than we had 50 years ago, but it wasn't enough. So we had to borrow more money so we could have even more. It's It's a plague on our society. And as Christians, we would do well to listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. It's not new in our society. It's just amplified because there's so much more stuff. And he gives the reason why we should be on our guard against that there in verse 15. For, why? One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And I think there's a slide here. NASB is better, I think, in this verse. He says, translated NSV, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Doesn't matter how much you you have. You're never going to get to the point, no matter how much you get, where your life is going to be altered by how much you have. If you're not happy in a cave, you're not going to be happy in a castle. 
It doesn't matter that. True life, the essence of who you are as a human being, Jesus says, and this is the man who was God from all eternity, who saw every human being die. He says, your life is not affected by how much you have. What really matters, what's really, what really continues forever is not affected by how much you've got. It's no way altered by how much you have. And sometimes we have to learn that the hard way. There's a story told of Richard Wormbrand, who was a pastor in Romania under the Ceausescu regime, the communist regime, who was imprisoned for his faith. For 14 years, he was tortured unmercifully. And eventually, he was released. And he ended up in the States. And for some reason, at some point in time, somebody took him to a mall. For, maybe they were doing... I don't know why, but they did. But his comment when he, when he finally, when they took him around, I don't know if the guy had some shopping to do and took him along or whatever, but when Wormbrand walked out of the mall, he made a comment kind of in passing. He said, I'm so thankful that I didn't see a thing in there that I need. That is kingdom perspective. But this kind of declaration flies in the face of conventional wisdom. I was working on the message this week and looked out the window and there's an Amazon truck across the street. On the side of the Amazon, Amazon truck, it says, you know what it says? Warning, contents may cause happiness. I thought, yeah, and it might cause unhappiness when you get the next credit card bill. But, <laughs> but for example, standard of living. There's a, I looked up the definition for standard of living to show you just how much stuff is ingrained in what we think life is all about. Looked at the Oxford Dictionary, put that down, and I thought, well, maybe that's English. Maybe we should give the American Dictionary at least equal time. But what, how do we define our standard of living in our society? It's the degree of wealth and material comfort available to a person or community. That's how we define standard of living. Your stuff increases, your standard of living increases. Life is better when you have more. That's the mentality. We even use it as a definition for the econo- economics of our country. But why is this so dangerous? Jesus says your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possession because we become slaves to our stuff or our financial security. And we shift our focus from what is eternal to stuff that just won't last. Gibbs again from his book, longing leads to having and having leads to longing. He who has much wants much. John Wesley was a pastor about 300 years ago in England, and he said that when people spend money on things they don't really need, he noticed a phenomenon there that when they do that, they begin to want more things that they do not need. Instead of satisfying their desires by purchasing their, their wants, they actually increased the number of wants they had. George Will made a comment once that a need is defined in contemporary America as a 48-hour-old want. Etsy, Pinterest, Wayfair, I mean, you, you name them. They're just feeding you that stuff all the time, getting you to forget about what really matters. The result, well, it went on to say, the result is a blurring of needs and wants, which leads to the tyranny of the unnecessary. We get to a point where we think that our life is wrapped up in our standard of living and if we do, we will never have enough. So I want to warn us, Jesus warns us to be on our guard against that. 
whether you're 12 or 32 or 73 or 90, if you let that enter into your heart, you will never have enough. So if you're younger, I want to warn you younger folks. We're, I mean, I'm an old guy now, but if, don't think if you just get a little bit more, it's going to be okay. It's, your life is not going to change. And if you get a little bit more, you're going to want a little bit more. And Jesus warns his disciples against that. And so he's going to underline that with a parable. And then he moves on to the parable in verse 16. He tells them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus often told parables that had a gotcha in them. And there's a gotcha in this one. You're flowing along with him. You're following him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And all of a sudden it's, whoops, he does a 180 and you, he takes you where you don't think you want to go. And I'd like to see if we can do that this morning as well. This land, the land of this rich man produced plentifully. He got an unexpected windfall. He got a stimulus check plus, And he says to himself, what shall I do? Well, he's a rich man. You know, what's he going to do with it? He thinks to himself, I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. He didn't have enough room to hold all that he had. I'll use it to improve my life, he says. He's focused on himself. I is six times in this, these few sentences. He's talking about I, 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 and then five times more, my, my, my. It's his stuff. It's his life. What's he going to do with his stuff and his life? And so he says to his soul, soul, you have goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, let's pause here for a minute. Not read any farther. What's wrong with this man so far? Is he an immoral guy? Is he cruel to his servants? Is he mean? Has he got a bad temper? There's absolutely nothing. When Jesus lays out this man's life up to this point, there's absolutely nothing morally wrong with this person. But this is important to remember. He congratulates himself because he's ready for retirement. Look at, look at verse 19. This is the baby boomer's goal. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Isn't this the American dream? The guy's not wicked. Well, he is, but he's not wicked in the sense that we would say wicked. A good, moral person, financially responsible. He's invested his life in building up his possessions so that when he gets to a certain age, he can just have his stuff, be financially secure, not worry about having any money, and he can kind of do what he wants. Not bad stuff. He didn't say, oh, I've got stuff stored up for many years. Let's go party. That's not what he's talking about. Just the good life. This is the American dream. But what happens? God said, fool. When the Bible talks about a fool, it's a person who doesn't get what God is all about. This man is a fool. And the only thing he did was take more than he needed and kept it for himself so he could live the good life. 
I didn't say that. Jesus said that. I think you see why I made that disclaimer before I started the message. You can disagree with me, and if I'm wrong, please go to the scriptures, search them out. Never do what any man says. Go back to the word and see if it's what the Lord Jesus says. But if it's what the Lord Jesus says, you don't get to decide whether it's right or not. You can say I'm wrong, and I could well be wrong. You can't say he's wrong. And I think as Americans, we really, really, really need to step back out of our culture and look at what the Lord Jesus says and ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. Because this was a warning from Jesus to his disciples. Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? He didn't even get to build the bigger barns. He didn't even have time for that. His soul was required. And then Jesus makes the universal truth application there, verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The wealthy man equated his life with his possessions, and when his soul was demanded, he realized how bankrupt he really was. But it was too late. Good exercise. Go home. Look at all your stuff. Open all your accounts and ask yourself, how much of that are you going to have the second after the Lord says, time's up? And ask yourself if it's worth it. The God who lived in eternity before he came and became a human being speaks to his disciples a few months or years before he's going to go up on that cross. And because you are an eternal soul, he is going to bear in his body your sins so that when you die, you can continue living. And he says, watch out. Don't get your eyes off the prize. And then he turns to his disciples. Time is flying by here. So he turns to his disciples and says, therefore, verse 22. So in light of that truth, that your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. In light of that, what do you think he's going to tell his disciples? He says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, nor your body, what you will put on. Life's more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Your life is more than your basic needs. So don't worry about your basic needs. And then he's going to go through in this section... And he's going to tell them to look at what's around them. And I'm guessing that when Jesus spoke these things, he's talking, there, it says there were thousands of people, verse 1, and they were trampling on each other. There were so many people. And there were probably, as in many big cities, there were probably crows and ravens around on the outskirts. And he just points to the ravens, unclean animal, no importance in the Jewish society. He points to them, he says, look, there's this, this, these birds over here. God's taking care of them. They have a part in God glorifying God in their little itty-bitty way, in their little corner of God's creation. He takes care of them. And then how much more valuable are you than them? And then he makes another comment, and then he points to the lilies. And I'm sure there there are flowers there right next to him if they hadn't been stamped on already by the crowd. He said, these things only live a day or two, and yet God dresses them up. How much more valuable are you than they? If these little tiny pieces of God's plan for glorifying himself in creation that only last a little bit, God takes care of them. How much more is he going to take care of you that I've called into my kingdom 
that are going to glorify God for eternity. Don't you think he's going to take care of your needs day in and day out? So get your eyes off of your basic needs. He says in verse 29, and I'm jumping ahead here, I know. But down in verse 29, I think it is. Don't seek what you eat and what you are to drink. Don't be worried. All the nations of the world, and it's not talking here about political nations, but people groups. It doesn't matter where you go. Everybody in the world's worried about what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink. Everybody's worried about their standard of living. Everybody's concerned about that. But your kids are the kingdom. And your father knows what you need. You should be living differently than all the other people who all they have is this life. I mean, if you're a materialist, it makes perfect sense for you to grab all you can get and hang on to it. Because when you're dead, it's over, or so you think. But for you, kids of the kingdom, you're going to live for eternity. Focus on eternity. Don't seek what you can eat, what you're going to eat or you're going to drink. Your father knows that you need them and he's going to take care of you. He's aware of your needs. So what's the focus of the believer to be? Verse 31. Instead, do what? Instead of seeking after these things, seek his kingdom and these things will be added unto you. This is Jesus' alternative to worrying about life's needs. Instead of worrying about that and focusing on that and having all your mental energies on that, on your standard of living, focus on the interests of the kingdom and God will provide everything you need. You get eternity with all the stuff you need today thrown in. Well, the problem for some of us is it's not really what we need we're interested in. It's what we want that we're interested in. There's no promise here that God will give you all your wants. But he will give you everything you need and your soul will live for eternity and you need to focus, he says, on that. Well, time is flying by and I don't have too much time to go into too much detail here. But then notice in verse 32, he says, fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. And little flock, you know, defenseless sheep, just a few of them, open to all the attacks. And he's already talked about persecution. He said, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure. He delights to give you the kingdom. Think about it. Jesus is saying, this one who created us all, by the way, who holds everything together by his own power, who knows what the plan is, who from all eternity knew what the plan was, knew that when you were created, God created you to enjoy him forever. That's his plan. That's his purpose for you. It's not just some little dot on an infinite line that we call our earthly life, but it's all of eternity. And it's his pleasure to give you everything you need for the kingdom. So why focus on the little speck that is the start of your existence when you're going to live for eternity with him. Your soul continues. Your stuff doesn't. Seek the kingdom. What does that mean? Well, uh, let's go straight to Piper's quote there. I don't have time to elaborate in all the details, and I want to give you a couple more examples before we're done if we have time. John Piper says this idea of seeking his kingdom is this a war, it's a wartime lifestyle that aims not at security and ease, but at saving the lost, sending missionaries, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, teaching the simple, and dignifying the poor with work and care. And you can add a whole bunch more examples. 
caring for young moms and young dads and all the other things that the, the folks at Creekside do and many others besides that focus on advancing the kingdom in the lives of men and women and boys and girls. It's interesting, though, here that he says, fear not. What, were they, what would they have been afraid of? Piper does a good job of saying, was, was Jesus looking back to verse 31 when he said, fear not? This idea that, yeah, but if I do this, will it work? Will I be taken care of? Or is he preparing them for verse 33? Because this is the kicker. Jesus doubles down with his disciples. Sell your possessions. The young brother comes and says, tell him to divide the inheritance with me. I need more. Jesus says, watch out for wanting more. God will take care of your needs. And what you got, get rid of. Any wonder people wanted to stone Jesus? Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I've got some other examples I'd love to give you, but time is running short. But I do want to give you one example. And I was struck this week with the realization, and you know it, but I did too, and we need to be reminded. Jesus never asks us to do something that he didn't do in spades himself as a human being. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He had everything. And he gave it all up. And he became a human being. Paul says to the Philippians, he made himself nothing. He gave it all up. So when he's asking you and me, and he's telling us not to worry, and to take everything beyond our needs and invest it in other people and invest it in the kingdom. It's not something he didn't already do himself. He gave up everything, and on top of it, he knew what life really was, and yet he said when he was walking on this earth, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He chose to be a human being that had nothing, and at the end, he took all our sin upon himself and died because he knew that the real us would live for eternity. And that's what he wanted to take care of. And that's what he took care of perfectly through his own poverty so that we could be enriched for eternity. It's a beautiful plan. It's a perfect plan. Let's not mess it up by getting sidetracked and getting sucked into all the appeals. You know, every time you're on a page, somebody's selling you something somewhere that you have to decide whether you're going to click on to investigate or not. Be on our guard against that. Look to the one who made himself nothing, who impoverished himself for the good of us so that we can, by his grace, do that ourselves. Okay, I'm going to go over one minute. Put up 2 Corinthians 8. Now, I love this. You're not supposed to have favorite verses maybe, but look at, look at what the Holy Spirit does in a person when they get it. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 
talks about Jerusalem and they sold their possessions and no one was needy. I mean, that's just the spirit of Christ working itself out in the church. And then you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and look at what he says about these Macedonian believers. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Extreme affliction abundant joy, extreme poverty, and they begged us, he says in verse 4, begged us earnestly for the favor in taking part of the relief of the saints. When the Spirit of Jesus Christ gets a hold of you, it takes you to those extremes. Joyfully in your poverty, begging for the chance to give some more. That's not something that's imposed on you. Nobody wants to do that and impose it on other people. I just ask us, I ask myself, let's ask the Lord to search our hearts. We should be a people that are sold, sold out for the kingdom of God and for eternity that nothing else matters. And we know God's going to take care of what we need to get us through the day. And if he doesn't, it's time to go home and that's better. So we're just released into the beauty of living a joyful kingdom life. That's my prayer for you guys. That's my prayer for myself. The worship team can come up now and I just invite you guys to just reflect on this and think about it. You know, the concept of retirement is only 100 years old, 120 years old. It's a new thing in the history of humanity. Let's not assume that the way we live and the things we think are givens are eternal truths. Let's go back to the scripture, go back to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to show us the truth. I'll conclude with Jim Elliott's quote. You've heard it before, but it's worth repeating. No man is a fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He delights to do it, and he will take care of you. Rest in that today. Go in the joy of that reality, and ask him to teach you what that means for you today. If you would like prayer after the service, there'll be people with lanyards up in the front willing to pray with you. If you look for advice or counsel on things, please feel free to seek them out or any of the elders in the, in the fellowship. Let's pray and be dismissed. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you, you thought of everything. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you paid for everything. That we enter into life because of you. And you've guaranteed through that, that to us, Lord. Maybe walk in that humbly today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.